ha ha. I liked that like laugh into it. Ha ha. I'm getting into like full on Regency romance mode because we got the Bridgerton trailer today. Sure. And, and we didn't even talk about this yet. Sanditon season two premieres like five days before Bridgerton drops. Ooh. So I'm going to be very busy at the end of March. Sure. (laughs) Do you have it in your Google Cal? Is it in there? I have it in my... Well, no, I don't have it in a calendar at all yet, but I did make a TikTok about it today. So Excellent. It's official. Uh-huh. But that's my way of of making that official. Yeah. yeah. And then so you need to tell you need to like send that to um all of your acquaintances and say, "Look, I'm going to be busy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be booked. As... Please don't talk to me." <laughs> As per my TikTok. Unless it is about these topics. Yeah. As per my As TikTok. As per my TikTok. Yes. Please do not discuss anything else with me. Thank you. Oh, goodness. Can you imagine? Like, I just send my t- As per per my last TikTok. <laughs> what if I just made TikToks where I talked like that? I would love like, it. Per my last TikTok. I would love it. If you will recall think it's a good uh, it's a good mode of communication the, i think so the person can't say you never told me that's a big thing mm. with work emails like oh i didn't know it's in the tiktok yeah it's just it's all there <laughs> mm-hmm. it's in the tiktok i sent you yeah do you think in the future we'll all just communicate via TikTok all the time? Well, there's those other ones. There's other apps like that where you can send like a voice memo or whatever. So, I mean, a TikTok is the... Or, I mean, like, at that point, it's like, why don't you just leave someone a voice message on their phone? Right. Like, what are you... What are you doing? What you doing? I think technology is getting too advanced for our own good. I agree. Which is a theme of the Matrix. Which is a theme. You know, it's interesting. So as a teacher who teaches virtually, it has been really trippy to be researching the Matrix right now, right? Because it's like most of my day-to-day interactions with my students are through the internet. You know, it was. Yeah. it's just been kind of an interesting time to also be talking about the Matrix. Do you feel like you're living in the Matrix? I feel like I'm working in there. It kind of feels like when you go Mm. to work in a separate city or work in a separate town or whatever, I feel like I go to work entirely online. And then I kind of do unplug after I've been teaching for seven hours online. Mm -hmm. I do kind of feel the same as when they unplug from the seats, you know, and I go out into the sunlight and it feels different. Yeah. Or like the metaverse. Oh, good gravy. Yeah. Or like you're just playing The Sims. Like, yeah. For for your job. Yeah. Yeah. So, like The Sims with legal ramifications. Mm. Which, no thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> right. I know. Like, everybody who's like really into the metaverse, like, why don't you just play The Sims? Yeah. Totally. Or Second Life. Sure. Yeah. Or Second Second Life. Yeah. <laughs> like Dwight. Second Second Life. <laughs> Aw, when Jim makes himself like a little guitar and whatever. Uh-huh. Oh, goodness. Philly Jim. He's a sports writer. Yeah, Philly Jim. Well, 
we're still talking about the matrix yeah how do how do we transition this <laughs> well i had a perfect transition and then we ended up talking about the office which oh, you know sure is my own fault but no, you, know, you know what are you what? gonna do leave the fault to the geologists the fault in our stars oh no um i know so <laughs> so anyway so I think that, you know, many of us can relate to the feeling of like, yeah, yeah, like if you are working remotely or if you're, you know, working in a job where you're like, you're online most of the time or you're plugged into technology most of the time and then you unplug, it does, I think, feel like you're unplugging from the matrix yeah, and, and like you're entering the real world and suddenly like there are, there are things that you can see and hear and <laughs> yeah and like you can see the sun sure feel the wind feel on your the face. wind on feel actual <laughs> things that aren't just simulated yeah absolutely. right yeah it's very interesting and reminds me of Plato's allegory of the cave. Yeah. Oh, we got there. <laughs> did you like that? No, I did. No, I we really did. Um, yeah, absolutely. So last week I did say I was going to talk about Plato's allegory of the cave. Yeah. And how it sort of maps onto the matrix. Sure. And I think once you kind of know and sort of get like the accepted interpretations of allegory of the cave it's like super easy to see how it maps onto the matrix yeah so i'm gonna really just focus on the allegory and like the two main sort of accepted scholarly interpretations of it and then i'll talk a little bit about the matrix so cool think yes so like keep in mind what you know about the matrix yeah while I'm you get it, listeners. Yeah. You're smart. You're smart people. You wouldn't be listening to our podcast if you weren't smart, honestly. Honestly, so. yeah. Honestly. <laughs> so <laughs> as I mentioned, um, the allegory of the cave or Plato's cave is an allegory or thought experiment that Plato poses in his work, The Republic, and it's to quote, compare the effect of education and the lack of it on our nature. And like a lot of Plato's writings, it's written as a dialogue. Yeah. And one of the speakers is Socrates, which Plato does, like, did that, like, all the time. Interesting. It was kind of so, like the original name drop. <laughs> like, I know Socrates. You right. Like, hey, <laughs> I know Socrates. He's in, and now he's in this yeah. story that I wrote. Yeah. So it's the conceit is that Socrates is the narrator of this allegory. And I think it's like a way of for for Plato to be like, hey, this isn't me. This is Socrates, this really smart guy <laughs> saying this. Sure. Even yeah. Like that that's a whole conversation we could have. Yeah. So in the allegory, the cave, Socrates as the narrator describes a group of people who have lived in a cave their whole lives and they're chained to the walls and so all they can see is the blank wall of the cave 
And throughout their whole lives, they have watched shadows. So there's a fire behind them um, outside of the cave. And so they watch the shadows that are projected onto the wall from objects that pass in front of the fire. So they see kind of like a shadow, shadow play kind of. And so they've given names to the different shadows, not realizing that those are shadows of objects. So the these shadows that, that the people in the cave can see, that's their only reality, but it's not an accurate representation of the real objects in the real world that are casting the shadows. So the common interpretation, and I think this is even in the actual writing, is that the shadows represent fragments of reality that we can perceive through our senses, like empirically. Sure. While the objects that are outside of the cave represent the true forms of objects that we only perceive through reason. And so Plato poses that there are um, three higher levels of reasoning. So the natural science, mathematics, and geometry, and deductive logic, and the theory of forms. And I'm not going to get super into the theory of forms, but that's kind of the main sure. um, the main level of knowledge that, that, um, that we're dealing with through Allegory of the Cave. So in the allegory, Socrates, as the narrator, <laughs> sure. explains how a philosopher is like a prisoner who has been freed from the cave and comes to understand that the shadows on the wall are not reality. Like, that's not all there is. So the philosopher is trying to understand and perceive higher levels of reality. But the other people, the other prisoners in the cave, like some of them don't even want to leave. Like they don't want to imagine that there's anything higher than what they can see and what they can perceive. Right. Right. So like I mentioned, there's two different sort of commonly accepted interpretations of the allegory. So we have the epistemological <laughs> lens so that's sort of the idea of like how we gain knowledge or how we come to know things but then there's also like the political lens so I think most scholarship falls within those two perspectives but I think like even more so in like the epistemological like theory of knowledge realm like I don't know that I've actually um read or heard very much about the political sure interpretation but that would be really interesting especially like a political reading of the matrix yeah which like i didn't plan to like get into that right now but that would be interesting we'll get there um, as, when, as soon as i have my anime stuff that's in there also yeah kind of in some of that Ooh, stuff. that's exciting yeah that'll okay. be cool so the kind of common epistemological reading of the cave interprets this as representative of our intellectual limitations so and like in order to sort of like contrast lesser you know low like understanding based only on perception with that of philosophy or reason 
And it's also an allegory <laughs> um, about sure. people who, about those people who are not interested or are just unable to, you know, kind of see any higher kind of perspective or reasoning beyond what they perceive. That's a dangerous thing. No judgment on that question mark danger danger that is right yeah i'm like uh that's yeah question everything question everything absolutely yes um so the influence of plato and of this allegory of course can be seen through so many written works yeah throughout history I mean, like, we have, like, early modern writers like Francis Bacon are drawing inspiration and influence from the cave. And then we have, like, my favorite, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. In Chronicles of Narnia, both The Silver Chair and The Last Battle reference ideas and imagery. Let's see. uh, There's a quote in The Last Battle where the professor... Professor Diggory, yeah. <laughs> he says, he, 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 like, he's, like, explaining to, like, Lucy and, I think, Lucy and Eustace and Jill, like, he's explaining it to them, like, it's all in Plato, like, this idea of, like, <laughs> like, Narnia, and so, like, okay, so if you've read The Last Battle, yeah, or if you haven't, I guess, would be more, so, like, <laughs> beyond Narnia, there's, like, another Narnia that's like greater and more real than the Narnia that we've been reading about. Sure. So it's like a shadow, like the Narnia that like all the kids are having adventures in. That's like the shadow of the true Narnia, which they finally go to in the last battle. And the professor from the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe keeps like, He's like, yeah, you, you like, why don't you guys know this? Like, it's all in Plato. <laughs> like, yeah, it's fun. Um, I need to like read baby's those. first philosophy. Well, right. I was just thinking how strange it is that I read those in like second and third grade. I need to go back and right. revisit that as an adult because that gotta, sounds fascinating. Yeah. yeah. You got to do a Narnia reread. Yeah. Like every couple years. <laughs> we also have... Themes of reality and perception being explored in Fahrenheit 451 yeah. by Ray Bradbury. It's even, um, Allegory of the Cave is even um, like overtly referenced. And then another really interesting, more recent reference is in Room by Emma Donahue. Oh, interesting. Which definitely draws a lot of influence from the cave. Sure. And then, of course, we have films like The Matrix, but then also The Truman Show, uh-huh. Us. Yeah. Kind of has this in, has this idea in it. And then City of Ember, which is also based on a book, um, definitely has that influence in there. So, of course, diving into The Matrix, we definitely have the idea that sort of like the true essence of an object is not what we perceive with our senses but the true object is like its quality or its essence Um, and most people only perceive like the shadow of the object 
And so they have this false perception. So there's like, I think the like the most obvious scene is that um, the there is no spoon. Yeah. <laughs> where he like bends the spoon with his mind. Right. It's where he Neo is accepting that like the object of the spoon that he holds in his hand. That's not the true object that's not the true spoon the true spoon is the person is like the idea of the spoon that he has in his mind in the matrix so that he can make it bend it to his will literally and figuratively yeah that's fun um (laughs) in his book the matrix illuminated Geraldo nascimento described this connection between the matrix and the cave He said, Thomas Anderson's evolution into Neo and the One portrays the process of awareness and revelation described in the allegory of the cave. Thomas Anderson in his virtual prison is like the people observing the shadows. All that he knows makes that world his reality. And the real world, the key to the truth, does not exist inside of it. The key to reality is something external without physical connection. There is no door through which you can walk out of the matrix and show up in the exterior world. It is required of the person to ascend, to wake up from the lucid dream that is the matrix. Which BT dubs this book, The Matrix Illuminated, I highly recommend. So there's like a, I think there's like several different books that are about like the matrix and philosophy or like the matrix, the matrix and, you know, whatever that are available. I think this one is, is the only one I could find that was written. When was this written? Actually, (laughs) I think it was the only one I could find that was written after the two matrix sequels. Okay. But it was like right before Resurrections sure. came out that this book was released. So it's like a more up to date, more um, more modern interpretation. And yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Pick that up. All of this is making me just, and I hate to bring it there, but it just makes me <laughs> think of our world in the quarantine when we very mm. first started. Yeah. And we all like we're no longer able to be in the real world and we plugged Mm -hmm. in if you you know um if you had the means to plug in and it was and there there was also that disconnect between people who were able to connect and people who were not based on this ability to access the internet and you know the matrix and I don't want to get too down in the dumps there. I didn't even have this in our notes. But just listening, mm-hmm. I was just kind of having a, a freak out moment of like, we kind of went to the Matrix to keep ourselves safe in a weird way. And yeah, oh, geez, I gross. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and there is like, you know, like if we're talking about sort of like the internet and like online online life and society as as our current analog for the matrix like there is an issue of like access yeah and privilege absolutely that you know yeah like we don't really think about that i think when we're 
Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, not to bum everyone out, but... No, I think that's worth bringing up. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, if we're keeping this as, like, a metaphor for The Matrix, like, the movie, <laughs> The Matrix. Yeah. But, like, you, you could say that, like, that issue of, like, access and privilege is now afforded to people who are able to unplug from the matrix that like right most of humanity is unbeknownst to them subjugated and forced to be in this virtual world right and has no idea of what exists you know in the real world so yeah that's oh, we're, <laughs> we're in it we said we weren't gonna get political yet but, but you, you know, know yeah i mean the political is personal so absolutely i gotta yeah anyway it all interconnects um it all connects. it all connects. <laughs> a, uh, i quote that so much no i love it to switch gears a little bit, I wanted to go into a little bit of a conversation about the Morpheus mythology. Yeah. Um, well, my sort of like my sort of like ending thought there was about how like to sort of like enter or you know leave the matrix, you have to ascend and to wake up from the matrix as sort of a lucid dream is yeah. how. Uh, Nascimento describes it so yeah and then we got sidetracked but that's okay <laughs> and I I love that because we know or we might not know that Morpheus is the god of the dreaming and kind of mm. things of that nature so Morpheus as played by Lawrence Fishburne. Oh my goodness, just perfectly. Yeah. So good. So great. So wonderful. And as he acts as the guide for Neo as he enters the world of the Matrix as he kind of plugs in. I was hoping we could take a look at the family tree of Morpheus from Greek mythology. No. <laughs> okay. No. Sounds good. No, I'm going to go. <laughs> That's it. End of episode. Okay. Goodbye. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and I really like, in researching a bit more, it kind of feels like Morpheus in The Matrix is more of a direct retelling than I had originally thought. Mm. I had originally thought there were elements, I mean, it wasn't my thought. Obviously, if his name is Morpheus, <laughs> he's going to have some sort of ties. That's there. not a coincidence. <laughs> no. But yeah. I was, I was excited to see how direct it is to the original mythology if internet had been around you know when the greeks were were hanging out hmm. so for those who haven't picked up a greek myth or greco-roman really um yeah textbook in a while um morpheus is one of the sons of hypnos or somnus and he is most known as the god of sleep he is able to send human shapes to the dreaming or the dreamer and then his brothers i'm gonna say this wrong phobator <laughs> or isolus sounds good to me <laughs> um and fantasius send forms of animals and inanimate things into the dreaming. So Morpheus mm, okay. specifically sends humans um, into the dreaming or the dream. 
And Morpheus is also, if you heard his name, you might have guessed it, able to change his own shape and manipulate reality, which I didn't know. I think in all of the mythology that I had remembered, I was just thinking of the dreaming. But I was interested to hear that that correlation exists, too, of manipulating reality. Mm Mm-hmm. And it seemed even more obvious why we would name this character Morpheus. Also, it kind of, so like, reminds me of in, remember in the Hunger Games, um, there's the Morphlings? Yes! That are like people who are like addicted to like a drug that I think is similar to morphine. Yeah. Which of course morphine comes from Morpheus. Yeah. Or Morphine. But, like, I don't know why, like, that is, like, what came to my mind. No, totally. Yeah. <laughs> because they're kind of in, like, at least, is it um, Wyrus in Catching Fire? She's kind of in this state that's in between waking and dreaming. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah. And that's a dangerous place to get stuck, you know? It's, mm-hmm. it's a scary one. Sorry if you just heard my cat sneeze. Um. Oh, I didn't hear oh, it. Oh, good. Okay. Um, I kind of want to, though. That sounds adorable. Well, he does have a good sneeze. Um, <laughs> I also took a look at the family tree of Morpheus because it's kind of interesting to see, like, his father, Hypnos, was the god of sleep. Hypnosis. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. There we go. Hypnosis, things like that. Um, his mother, oh, Pasithea. Mm. Sure. Yeah. It's a pretty <laughs> name. I've always liked the name Thea. Pasith- no one speaks ancient Greek anymore. It's fine. I wish they did. I w- if that were on right. Duolingo, I'd log in right now. Oh, 100%. So Pasithea was the goddess of relaxation and rest. And then we have the uncle, Thanatos, mm. who's the god of death. Thanos? Yes. Thanos. Yes, his uncle Thanos. Yep. Um, I, uh, yeah, Marvel Comics, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Thanos, the god of death. Come on. And, like, I just think that's such an interesting, <laughs> like, his uncle, he would be related to death. So we're thinking about mm-hmm. dreaming and escape and relaxation. But there's also this this death correlation to the dream yeah. and to the dream realm. I wonder yeah. if like, like thinking of it from like, you know, an ancient um, human worldview, if like dreaming was seen to be like related to the afterlife. Sure. At all. Because we know like in, in Greek mythology like they believed in an afterlife yeah so i wonder if like they thought that there was a link between your dreams and where you went in the afterlife right with like the link between sleep and death yeah like hmm i'm sure i'm not the first one to think of that but but not just kind of Oh, like why there would be a connection between the god of death and the god of dreams well, or the god of sleep. Right. And there's um, there's also that correlation when we look to our dreams to kind of give us insights into what we're thinking or maybe be prophecies. You know, I just mm, it's right. all really interesting. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, it's all fascinating. All of these the way that humans 
grapple with things and think mm-hmm. about things that we really still don't know anything about. It's just right, yeah. How we all rationalize things is fascinating to me. It gets even more fascinating, I think, when we take a look at um, his brothers. So they each obviously had specific things that they were um, in charge of or responsible for. So Phobator created specifically, (laughs) it sounds like a, it kind of sounds like Turbo Man to me, Phobator. Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking it sounded like a... Like a Thundercat. <laughs> sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. Isn't there a Thundercat named Phobator? <laughs> it does sound like that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Phobator, you'll never defeat me. Phobator. <laughs> it is I, Phobator. It's pretty good. Oh. Oh, no. Um, but Phobator specifically created scary dreams so he was Mm. he was the nightmare he specifically in some of the notes that i was finding on the internet for like huge animals or mammals and uh, was one of the things one of the ways that he took form if he were visiting like the mortals or whatever um Mm -hmm. and he was the personification of nightmares or scary dreams which I thought was interesting and then Fantasius created kind of fake or illusional dreams um that were illusion which like when I first read that I was like well what is a I mean what's a fake dream it's all in your head but I think those ones that feel less like the ones that you don't wake up from feeling like you've just had a day in your life, you know, the more, mm-hmm. the ones where you are aware you're dreaming or the ones that oh, you're kind okay. of removed. Um, yeah. When I first read that, I was like, yeah, but they're all fake. But, <laughs> right. but yeah, just the ones where you don't wake up kind of sweating and nervous that that was your actual life. And you have to remind yourself, no, that was, that was a dream. And then we also had, another brother Ikelos and Ikelos was in charge of the more realistic dreams not good or bad necessarily just the realistic dreams Mm. like the mundane dreams where you're like going about your everyday life right in the dream yeah (laughs) like what is the point of this okay cool (laughs) yeah thanks dreams uh really yeah thanks so much yeah like (laughs) and i think they could be good or bad there was no distinction there um but when you got to the really really nuanced nightmare that was more phobator um Mm. and when you got to the really big obviously like fantastic dream that was fantasious um again just really interesting to think about how dreams were kind of thought of um and written about my final little note here that i have is something called in the arms of morpheus Ooh, is that a morpheus reader fanfic of the matrix yes 
and it's housed in a Morpheus slash reader. (laughs) Exactly. I bet, you know, we have to look that up. We really do. I I feel if it doesn't exist, I think I feel obligated to write it. Yeah, I think you should. I think that's how you're going to make make your first million. Well, I can't make any money off of fan fiction unless I, you know, unless you're like file off the serial numbers. Yeah. (laughs) And sell it as a book. Yeah, the, like the love hypothesis, or or you make or Fifty Shades, or you make it a really obvious ploy for a movie deal starring you, like our best friend whose name I can't think of right now. Oh, Lanny Sarah. Lan- yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, I love how I knew exactly who you're talking about. A really <laughs> obvious ploy. It has to be really obvious how badly like you need to play the lead character though like that would be the distinction there (laughs) but yeah the arm it also just sounds like a hotel to me the morpheus arms or like a really seedy like your first apartment you ever live in like i'm gonna rent at morpheus arms um but anyway so there's a set of stories that center around the arms of morpheus where a character will enter a deep sleep while physically in his arms. And in this dream, they'll have a prophecy about their future or a, an important insight into their life. And that specifically made me think. I want to do like, this. Right? Can I, can I do that, please? Please? It, like, this is the thing that really reminded me of The Matrix, like, the prophecy aspect of this. And, yeah. And the arms of Morpheus in the same way that Morpheus leads Neo into The Matrix. I could talk about this stuff all day. Please do. Please do. Go on. Go on. Oh, no. Yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah. I would like to do that, actually. Um... Yeah. I would like to enter the arms of Morpheus, please. But isn't that, that isn't that that classic thing though that like do you really? Like Yeah, like, that's true. In like the whole monkey's paw. Right. Like Yeah. Or in a lot of Greek and Roman mythology when you would go and visit the oracle and then you really didn't want to know and it kind of ruins your whole thing. Yeah. Right. Happens a lot. Or like how that 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 one guy uh, Macbeth, he met oh, those yeah, three him. women, mm-hmm. and they told him that like he was gonna be the king. Yeah, and and then his wife was like, "Hey, okay. you should kill the current king." I just watched the tragedy of Macbeth. <gasps> I want to see it. Uh, starring uh, Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Yeah, it was so good. It was so freaking Macbeth good. Macbeth is one of my favorite stories. I really love <sighs> it. So good. I gotta so watch good. that that movie. It's so visually stunning too. Cool. Like it's in black and white. Ooh. And like all the sets are like like the set design is so cool. Like it's kind of like like it's very intentionally like kind of artificial looking sets. Okay. Which kind of sets it in like, uh, like kind of removes it from reality in a way. And so it gives it this kind of feeling of like, because, you know, like the play is about like fate and like how you can't stop 
you know, fate from happening, which gives you the sense that you're like living within this preset narrative. Sure. So like the the artificial sets just sort of like kind of add to that feeling. That's anyway, so cool. I could talk about this movie for ages. That's so cool. I really, <laughs> I liked the one that came out like six years ago too. Yeah, that one was good too. Yeah. This is like a totally different take. but <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one was really good too. Was that um, Marianne Cotillard? Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and who is who played Macbeth in that? That's so is ironic that, Mike, that I have that, no uh, idea. Michael Fassbender? Oh, maybe. Yeah, I think that's who it was. I don't remember yeah. the titular Macbeth, but I do remember. <laughs> the titular Macbeth. Anyway. Oh, could we connect Macbeth to the Matrix? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think I s- I think Macbeth never gets out of the matrix, I think is what we could say. Right. And I kind of feel like He's trying to, but he never does. And I almost I almost feel like in that in the in how I'm visualizing this, Lady Macbeth is almost the Morpheus cuz she kind of mm. tells him, "This is what we're going to do and here's why." And then he goes for it, you know, but she kind of leads yeah. him there. Then would the weird sisters be like the Oracle? Sure. Or would they be, would they be like Agent Smith? Right. Right? Yeah. Hmm. This is good. Interesting. We'll need to develop this theory further. <laughs> my, I feel like my brain is wagging its tail right now, and that's a very strange thing to <laughs> yes. say. But I'm very happy it, to be thinking about. No, this. I totally get you. <laughs> like it scratches that one part of my brain that really wants to be scratched. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I'm excited. This is cool. To, to develop this theory further. Yeah. <laughs> Well, next week, we might get to that. We'll see. I don't know. Um, we might just completely change our plans yeah. and talk about Macbeth and the Matrix. And that, I would be totally fine with that. Or we might talk about anime. Yep. <laughs> and religion. And, re- so, and religion. It's really a mixed bag. Yeah. There. Um, a real excellent mixed bag. Yeah. So that'll be exciting. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Go watch the Bridgerton trailer. Go watch the yes. Watch the courtship. Watch the tragedy of Macbeth. <laughs> yes. And also kind of bringing it to a serious note, take care of each other. You know we're entering yes. into some global conflict and so yeah. Take care of yourself, take care of each other. If you need to Yeah, if you need to unplug from the matrix for a while yeah. for your for your mental health, please do that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll see you next week, friends. Yeah. Okay, bye. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs>